Good evening. Welcome to our Wednesday evening Bible class. Be ready in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. I hope we never take for granted these opportunities we have to be together and to study God's Word. I notice on days like today on social media, churches up in the Northeast... Some people not able to get out of their home driveway, not able to get into the church parking lot, power outages and all that's going on there. And uh, it should cause us to be thankful that we're able to be here and open God's Word and appreciate what God has said about how we ought to live. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, after prayer, actually... I'll read verses 1 through 7, and then we will hit our target passage for tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are filled with gratitude for Christ, for Thy Word, for this opportunity. May those good things come together in a valuable way for each of us as we are nourished by the Word and as we live by the Word day by day to Thy glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen my face, or not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I said to you on Sunday that Paul did not consider writing an epistle as drudgery, as a trade that he had to pursue, just another job or career along with everybody else who would get up on Monday morning and say, all right, bring me the parchment and find my stylus. I've got to write another letter. That wasn't Paul's frame of mind at all about what he did. He was used by the Holy Spirit to inform and edify and evangelize and nourish people with these words. And I made the point Sunday, Paul's heart was fully engaged in this. And by that I mean that he cared about what God would convey to people. And also he cared about the people. He cared about the Christians in Colossae and in the neighboring place of Laodicea. And then he used a comprehensive phrase, 
we studied on Sunday, all who have not seen me face to face. This portrays to us a man who cared, first of all, about God and his relationship with God and what God had to say, but he cared about people. And that just comes right off the page, not only in Colossians, and not only in Colossians 2, but in everything else Paul wrote in the New Testament. Now tonight at verse 6, there is this very important word. And if you've been in my classes and heard my preaching for a number of years, you know exactly what I'm going to say. This is one of the most important words in Bible reading and Bible study. And we may overlook it at first. It is the word, therefore. Or in some of the older translations, it may say, wherefore. And you've heard me say many times that this is a key word because it links up what is about to be said with what has just been said. It is a contextual transition that links up what has gone before with what's about to be said. So it's very typical in Paul's writings for Paul to make argument after argument and affirm principle after principle and then say, therefore. And very often what he's going to do is he's going to say, here's what we ought to be doing about all this. See, Paul was not just in the information business. He was in the application and motivation business. So once you have before you the truth from God, you act upon it. And that's very often what Paul is doing when he says, therefore. So let's connect all this up. If all the treasures and, uh, of wisdom and knowledge are provided in Christ... If I'm able in Christ to have what Paul referred to previously as good order and firmness of faith, where should all this take me? What should I do? And Paul says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, now walk in Him. And that's going to be our emphasis in these verses. As you have received Jesus Christ walk in Him. So two things come up immediately from the paragraph. One is this is about receiving Christ Jesus the Lord. But then after that is brought up, just in a mention, in a phrase, the next part is Paul is writing to people who needed to be walking in Him. After you've received Him, you need to walk in Him. When you heard the gospel... And when you came to faith in Christ, and you confess that faith, you turn from your sin in repentance, and you were baptized, this is what you were doing. You were receiving Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, stop there and say, where, where do we get this? We get it from the book of Acts. The book of Acts gives clear instruction about who Jesus is and what He did, what God provides in Him. And then the book of Acts calls upon people to respond, to receive the gift of salvation. And that can be called receiving Jesus Christ, so long as you give that a biblical definition. See, 
one of the fundamental flaws of denominational religion and the so-called evangelical movement is to talk a lot about receiving Jesus Christ and yet not tell people everything the book of Acts says about that. That is typical in modern denominational religion. Listen to any crusade-type sermon on television or Internet or YouTube. Read almost any popular book written by a generic evangelical or denominational writer and you'll find this expression over and over again. Receive Jesus Christ. Receive Jesus Christ. But without going through all of what the book of Acts says about what constitutes receiving Jesus Christ. A prominent Baptist preacher died a few days ago and he spent his entire public pulpit career not telling people what the book of Acts says about baptism. So there are a lot of people who will talk about receiving Jesus Christ and, and we will say yes, we ought to receive Jesus Christ. But then we've got to get to the information God provides about what constitutes receiving Jesus Christ. So when I did and when you did what the apostles of Christ told people to do in the book of Acts, that was receiving Jesus Christ as the Lord. You're accepting Him as the authority over your life and you are immediately complying with the authorized one who said, He that believeth and, and is baptized shall be saved. So that's receiving Jesus Christ. Now, what comes after that is captured by Paul in Colossians 2 and verse 6 with one three-word phrase. Walk in Him. Now here again you've got the same issue. People will say, well, you ought to walk in Christ. You ought to have a Christian walk in life. Well, that's right. But now what does that mean? We're going to have to go to the text of Scripture and see what God says that means. Even among people who get baptism right, there's sometimes an absence of good follow-up. What do you do after baptism? Well, you walk in Him and you let God tell you what that all means. So this is one of those times when I would be inclined to say to somebody, if you read in Colossians 2 and verse 6 that you ought to walk in Him, and you want to know what that means, some of you know already where I'm going with this. First of all, do what? Read everything before Colossians 2, 6. All right, what's next? And read everything after Colossians 2, 6. So that God informs what is meant by walking. So this is very simple as it begins in Colossians 2 and verse 6. Receive Him, and then after that you've got to walk in Him. That's got to be very clear in your mind when you respond to God. Is there anything I've said that's unclear that I need to, that I need to finish up about that part of it? All right. Here's where I want to take off in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. There's a concept Paul introduces here that is an element in walking in Him, and I want to develop that concept. 
because I think it is the key to this particular section, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. So I'm going to lock on to a concept, and I'm going to let Paul and the New Testament develop that concept for us. The concept is being rooted. Let's go through that. Let the New Testament inform us about it. Roots are a product of seed. Roots do not just spontaneously appear under the soil. The root system is a product of the seed. The seed is put into the soil and then through the process of germination, a power that God put in seed, roots come forth. Now, do you remember that this is one of Jesus' famous parables? He used this well-known agricultural process to tell us about listening to the Word of God and obeying it. And it's called the parable of the sower. We're not going to go back and read it now, but if you want to make a note of that, Matthew chapter 13 contains not only the parable of the sower, but Jesus' explanation of the parable, His commentary on the parable. You'll find it as well in the book of Luke in chapter 8. And then when, you, when you're in Luke in chapter 8, you'll come to verse 11 and you'll find this statement. The seed is the Word of God. The seed is the Word of God. When someone asks you, how did you become a Christian? And if someone asks it this way, what are your roots? We can say what Jesus said. The seed is the Word of God. I listened to and I read the Word of God and that seed came into my heart and roots sprang up and God enabled me to bear fruit to His glory because I responded. I acted. I received Christ Jesus the Lord. And then after that I was determined to walk in Him. Your parents may or may not have helped you get that seed into your heart. Perhaps a teacher or a preacher motivated you and helped you. Could be an entire group of people played a role in your conversion and your study, but your roots came from the seed. The Word of God. Now, I want you to look back into our text. Way back in verse... Uh, let me see. No, 7, right here in chapter 2. I was thinking about something back in chapter 1 that corresponds to what I'm going to say. But here in the text in verse 7, underline these words, You were taught. Oh, that's the process. The seed is the Word of God, and as you receive that seed, you're being taught the Word of God. And as that seed finds favor in your heart, and you respond according to the Word of God, roots are formed, and those roots continue today. A few chapters later in Luke, in 11.28, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. See, that's the seed implanted, and you are responding favorably to the seed God put there. And 
you're not only hearing the Word of God, you're keeping it. That's a root system that's being built within you. Our roots as Christians come from the divine seed, the Word of God. Now let's make another observation. We're keying off of Paul's reference to roots being rooted. Roots secure the plant's footing. I'm going to give you an illustration. Some of you remember Hurricane Dolly in 2008. Many considered the storm to have been one of the most destructive to hit the valley in many years. During that storm, we lived in a mobile home in Far. And we stayed right there through the night. And my biggest worry was the palm trees. Some of you remember, if you'd been to our house in Far, we had tall palm trees lined up all around the property. And all through the night, when Dolly came through, I could see every single one of them just coming down on the house. And we did have some damage, but not from the palm trees. The palm trees stood because of the strong root system that God designed to hold them in the ground. And of course, accompanied by our prayers that they would stay there. One of the primary functions of a root system is to secure the plant's footing. In that parable that I referenced in Matthew 13, 21, Jesus talked about some who did not remain faithful. And here's the way he talked about that. They have no root in themselves. So you hear preachers talk about people who are not well grounded. They've heard the word of God, but they've not responded fully. And there's an absence of full commitment and sometimes in their initial enthusiasm, they're very happy to be baptized, but they never really let the Word of God ground them, and they do not last long. Well, remember in our text, Paul said to Christians, you have received Christ, but now what? Three words. What three words? Walk in Him. Your first contact with the Word of God needs to involve commitment to continue that contact so that not only do you receive Christ as the Lord, you continue, you walk in Him, you let the Word of God supply the firm footing that you need every day in life. We need that firm root system because life uh, is kind of like what I was describing that happened. Life has storms, kind of like Dolly. You want to have a firm root system. Also, about roots. Roots receive and store nutrients that provide strength. When you receive the Word of God into your heart, like seed and soil, you need to understand as that relationship with God and His Word continues and it's developed over time, you get stronger and stronger. Spiritual life requires good nutrition. See, you came here tonight for a meal. And we're getting that meal from God through Paul. You learn the Word of God, and then as you continue to be committed to it, 
you, you develop greater and greater strength. It, the, the nutrients that you need are there when you walk in Him and you continue to be grounded in the Word. In Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8, listen to this. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water and sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for it, it, its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. That's about strength. You cannot just make the choice to be baptized and then neglect good spiritual nutrition given through the Word of God. It will make you strong like a tree planted by the water that sends out its strength through the roots. In the year of drought, no problem. You've stored up moisture and nutrition. That's the idea. Do you see that our contact with the Word of God provides us with nutrition which results in strength. So when the storms of life come, the difficulties of life come, the strength has already been, already been there in our lives from the root system. Then I needed to remind us of something that's going to come out in another phrase we will look at here in Colossians. Cut off from our roots we die. You go out in your yard and try this. You could do this experiment. Just cut something off from its root system and see what occurs. In fact, you don't have to go to your garden. You can go to Romans 11. In Romans 11, Paul uses this same kind of imagery about seed, roots, plant, harvest, good fruit. He uses the same kind of imagery. And he teaches there that God has from gospel seed, one plant. And that plant involves both Jewish and Gentile branches. That's how Paul sets up that argument in Romans 11. There is a tree, God's tree, and it involves Jewish and Gentile branches. In verse 16, he says, If the root is holy, so are the branches. So a Jewish branch cannot brag against a Gentile branch, nor can a Gentile branch feel arrogant against the Jews. That's the point that Paul makes of all that in Romans 11. But a simple fact is implied. What happens if the branches are detached? They can no longer be holy. They can no longer have life. And in Romans 11, verse 18, Paul puts it this way. The root supports you. The root supports you. If you leave your roots, you cannot bear fruit. You cannot continue to claim to be a part of the tree, and you die. And this leaves you like those John spoke about in Matthew 3 and verse 10, when he spoke of the axe being laid to the root of the tree. Cut off from our roots, we die spiritually. Now, I want to take us back to our passage in Colossians 2. We've developed that root 
imagery. And remember our introductory text in verse 7, being rooted and built up in Christ. I want to take you to the next verse as I make this point about being cut off. Colossians 2, 8, that I will have more to say about Sunday. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Here's the danger. Leaving your roots. Letting somebody entice you, deceive you, and you are cut off from your root system. That's the point I want to make of that. We'll develop that further. And this happens when your attention to God's Word is diminished and the plausible arguments of men are taken in. What's happening is you're replacing good seed with bad. When the Word of God and the attention that you give to it is diminished and the plausible arguments of men are taken in, you're giving way to bad seed. And that's how Paul is going to develop this further. It's like you're pulling yourself away from your roots of origin in some vain attempt to transplant yourself somewhere else and be spiritually healthy. It doesn't work. So the word here is beware. And that term identifies a danger. It is saying to us, this could happen if you're not careful to stay grounded. Grounded. Roots, the seed. That's where your strength is. That's where your nourishment is. We need to stay grounded and stay attached to the root system that God created for His people through the seed, the Word. I think sometimes people have this tempting thought that I've been doing this so long, maybe there's something out there better. I've been a Christian all these years and I come to these buildings and meet with other Christians and for the most part uh, they were all brought up like me and the preacher always opens the same book and we sing the same songs and we pray about the same way and the preacher talks about sin and Christ and the Redeemer and obedience and maybe there's something else out there. There isn't. There isn't. There isn't. There's not anything out there better than what the Creator has provided in Jesus Christ through the seed and the root system that we have to remain attached to. And the more you read from this same book and the more you put forth effort to be a follower of Christ, the more you are rooted and grounded exactly where you need to be and where you need to stay to bear fruit to God. So... When tempted to go on some spiritual discovery journey outside the Word of God, uh, I'll remind you of what Paul said and remind myself. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. You hear the strength of all that terminology? Rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then I'm going to go ahead and see what he adds. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, 
according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. So God provides exactly what we need, and we need to be rooted and grounded in what God provides. I've got takeaways, and it's almost takeaway time, but I'm going to pause here. Questions or comments? Valuable for me when I studied this passage to focus on that root imagery and develop that. I think that's what Paul wants us to be attached to, that root system provided by God. Takeaways. Number one, receive Christ Jesus the Lord, or in some translations it says receive Him as Lord. Can we talk about that title, Lord? It means one having authority. One having authority. To receive Jesus Christ as Lord is to put your life under His authority, beginning with those initial steps that we reviewed back from the book of Acts. To receive Jesus Christ as Lord is to put your life under His authority. Now, why would you do that and then go off chasing something else? If you just want the blessings... That's all. Just I just want to be baptized, and I want to know that God has forgiven me. That's all I want. Well, you need more. You need more. You need to not only put yourself under Christ's authority with regard to baptism, but with regard to your entire life after that act of obedience. There must be your personal commitment to live under the authority of Christ, and that means everything Christ has revealed in the New Testament is instruction that you will now embrace and live by the rest of your life. And if you err or sin or fail, you can be forgiven upon your repentance. But the commitment then resumes to even deeper pursuit, living under the authority of Christ. I tell you, there are people in the world today and people in the religious world who just resist the very word authority, who resist any concept <clears throat> of being told <clears throat> what to do. But I tell you what, we need to be told what to do. I can't figure it out by myself what I need to do. Maybe the one who made me has the right and the wisdom to tell me what to do. So receiving Christ Jesus, the Lord, the Lordship of Jesus Christ is an affirmation of His authority. Secondly, <clears throat> I alluded to this earlier, but I want to emphasize it again. These words, when you collect them all together, just have a sound about them of activity and growth and strength. They just have that sound to them. Walking, rooted, built up, 
established, abounding. If you had nothing but that collection of words, it would immediately convey to you activity, and it would convey to you strength that comes through that activity. The sum of this is the regular activity and growth of your life under the authority of Christ. It causes me to remember a phrase we looked at a few classes ago, back in chapter 1, verse 27. Chapter 1, verse 27, you remember this phrase? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now you put Him in your life when you're baptized. You have to keep Him there. Christ in you. And the blessing that is attached to that is the phrase, the hope of glory. So what we're talking about in Colossians 2, 6, and 7 is not just dry theological proposition. It is a way of life. It is active. It must be involving of us from the inside out which results in improving and depth and a great root system that God provides and blessings from Him through Jesus Christ. I've got one more thing, but I want to pause for a moment, see if there's something you notice there you'd like to bring to our attention. Colossians 2, 6, and 7. So much is packed in to just two verses. Okay, here's a little quiz for you. There's another word in there. There's another word in Colossians 2, 6, and 7, and so far, I haven't said anything about it. What is that one word in Colossians 2, 6, and 7? Maybe kind of, I'm going to give you a hint now, maybe kind of toward the end of the passage that I haven't said anything about, but is a good way to conclude the class. What is that word? Thanksgiving. And this is not turkey and dressing, folks. Not what this is. Everything we've been talking about in Colossians 2, 6, and 7 should take us to the deepest kind of gratitude to God that He's made such good provision for us. To be saved from our sin, to live a life in relationship with the Creator, and to have what we were just talking about a moment ago, the hope of Glory. Every time you read anything about all of this we talked about, it should take you to gratitude. And gratitude should work also in that cycle of root system. Gratitude can, carries an element of motivation to it. I'm thankful for what I have in Christ, and I want to keep it, and I want to know more about it. I want to be better grounded and rooted in Christ. All right. Listen again, chapter 2. I'll start at verse 1 and take us down through verse 7. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden 
all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So we're going to continue Sunday at verse 8 and move on through chapter 2. And a lot of what we've brought up tonight is going to be connected to the things that follow from verse 8 on through the end. Listen to a little bit of this. I've got a couple more minutes. Listen, let me continue at 8 and do some reading here. And you'll immediately see how what we're going to study Sunday is connected to things we've covered tonight. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Those are things we'll study in future classes in Colossians chapter 2. Thank you very much for your good attention to our study.